2: How's it going guys? Billy Pinkney here with this episode of Billy the Bat Boy's Corner presented by Up On Game Sports and today we have a very special guest and that's Richie Schaefer. Who played a couple of years in the big leagues for the Tampa Bay Rays and we dive into the mental side of sports, mental side of baseball, what he's doing to help out the younger players and also his career and, and the kind of experiences he's had in order to ultimately take this new step in his journey of, of teaching these young players. So Without further ado, here's Richie Schaefer. All right, guys, we're here alongside Richie Schaefer, former Tampa Bay Ray. Appreciate you taking the time. Wow, thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you were part of USA's 16U team. I mean, how special is it to be a part of that club and, and a prestigious group of guys?
3: Yeah, that's pretty cool, man. It was a really good experience. Um, that's one of those first indications when you're young coming up that. Um, you really get to see some of the talent that's out there in the country and kind of get to gauge yourself, uh, against some of the best. And, uh, it was really cool. I, I remember playing against those guys, um, you know, as my career progressed, as all of our careers progressed, and it was cool to stay in touch with the, with a fair amount of them. Who were some of the guys
2: who really turned out to be some really solid players as well?
3: There was a bunch of guys on that team. Uh, Nick Franklin and I played together on the Rays, uh, Nolan Fontana played for, for a good while. Um, max stassi he's with the angels right now uh still still catching um was, got a couple other guys on there uh colton kane had a pretty good uh, uh minor league career for a while um
2: there was a bunch of guys on there it was a, it was a really talented group man it was cool yeah well you were drafted then by the dodgers in 25th round you decided to go to clemson uh spend some time in college ball but then it worked out. You were drafted twenty fifth overall, so you go from the twenty fifth round to twenty fifth overall. Uh, what led to that decision to go to college and and get some time in there?
3: Yeah, that was a tough decision, man. It's a really tough decision when you're when you're eighteen and trying to figure out you know <laughs> what the next twenty years of your life's going to look like and trying to make this you know very very different um, decision in terms of the path you're about to take. Um, and I just I, I had a very strong commitment to school. I, I just always really wanted to attend college and I I fell in love with Clemson when I first visited and um you know was I, my, my commitment to Clemson was just so strong it was gonna be really difficult to to get me away from that and I had a couple calls before the draft the draft was different you guys you gotta remember this was 2009 right I mean this is, feels like eternity ago I feel like an old fart now um but you know and back then there was a lot of they would call you ahead of time and said hey if we take you at this pick and give you you know, this bonus, like, will you sign? Yes or no. And, um, so I had a couple of those calls and turned down, uh, made some really difficult decisions, but turned down, you know, at the time, which seemed like a, a crazy, you know, crazy offer, but I just was, you know, really convinced that I could go and improve my situation and, and just really
2: wanted to go to school. And it was the best possible thing that could have happened to me for sure. What were a couple of the lessons that you learned while playing for them and and just your overall experience in college baseball?
3: Yeah I think the beautiful thing about college baseball and and then especially uh, at Clemson was you learn you know this ability to win right that's like this 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 team oriented winning uh, version of baseball that you just don't get in the minor leagues right the moment that you become a minor league baseball player it becomes a profession it becomes a very individualistic pursuit where like i'm just going to do whatever i can do for myself to get to the big leagues right that's that's the the strange route is like you go from college where everything's very team centric and you you do whatever you can to try to help the team win. And then you go to the minor leagues. It's this very individual, very personal thing, but then you get to the big leagues, you switch right back to winning. Right? So if you don't have, I I think there's um, a bit of a learning curve for guys that don't go to college um, or maybe didn't play for super competitive high school programs. Um, This, this ideology of like learning how to play, within a team framework and, and this, this ability to like learn to win um, is something that you need at the big league level and you just don't necessarily learn in the minor league level. And frankly, you, you shouldn't spend time learning because it's such a, a, a individual task.
2: Do you think the minor league should focus more on the importance of winning and having that type of culture rather than uh, just progress of each individual player? I mean, I know you played indie ball too, and that's more about winning. So, you know, you kind of get that again when you're playing you know, an independent ball or or college ball, but the minor leagues, it's, it's a little bit different. I don't think you'll ever
3: be able to recreate that, to be honest. I think the way the minor leagues is structured, I don't think there's ever a way where you can prioritize that winning mentality because at the end of the day, everyone is just trying to compete for the same, you know, 300 jobs in the big leagues, right? I mean, there there's... You know, there's just not a way to do it to kind of recreate that because when you're at college playing, uh, you're playing for this, you know, higher purpose of playing for your university and playing for all the tradition that's, you know, um, you know, before you and, and you you feel this camaraderie with your teammates and everything. And then on the indie ball side, when you're playing an indie ball, a lot of guys are playing it to like rediscover their love for the game after a, you know, a, a career or they're, they're attempting to, you know, use that to springboard themselves into other careers. And I just think both of those routes, the indie ball route and the college route, both have this um, less of a, you know, big league pursuit and a more uh, just playing for the love of, of the game uh, built into it. And I just don't think that's anything you can recreate in the minor leagues because there's just the stakes are just so high in the minor leagues because, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's, you're trying to work your way up to get to the big leagues and that's like the ultimate goal and you know you could you your team could lose every single game in the minor leagues but if you hit 350 with 30 home runs and you get promoted it's like that was a really bummer of a year for the team but like hey I played great I'm going to get promoted and continue to pursue my dream so i just don't think there's a way to do that
2: well, you did play in the Cape Cod League back in 2011. I mean, what can you say about the competition in that league and and just overall the, the atmosphere that that brings to the table?
3: Yeah, the Cape was so fun, man. That was really cool. Um, I played in Chatham, and it was just the the whole vibe in the Cape is cool because it just feels it it has its own little world up there, this own little environment, and all the tradition of the Cape. It it brings out the best of all the all the guys there. You know what I mean. So you're you're bringing in a group of super talented guys, all playing against each other in this, you know, very it it has it's there's such a summer feel to it to it where it's like it's fun and yeah, it's competitive, but it's not because you're in college. You 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 don't have you have a taste of that like minor league play for yourself, kind of show off a little bit, like show your skill set but in a way that feels like really loose and fun and you know just a, a a way to 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 really kind of show your personality
2: 2015 another big year for you you had a solid year in AAA playing for the Durham Bulls I mean that's a pretty historic organization too a lot of history behind that how meaningful was that for you to to be a part of them
3: yeah that was great uh the, the Bulls fans, they you know they feel like a, a major league fan base, you know I think with the with the movies and um, you know the the tradition kind of behind Durham, I think they have such a you know uh, and frankly without any major league team in the state of North Carolina, I think they really come out in droves and there was you know we got some great crowds at Durham. We would get you know 12, 14,000 people there. it was it was awesome. I loved playing there. And it just has. It's also one of the best minor league stadiums too. It's got such you know character to it, and it's a, a great place to hit. So I, I I loved it. The only problem was like at five o'clock, it
2: had ter- terrible shadows. But besides that, it was great. Yeah, I loved it. Awesome. Well, you then after that got called up to the big leagues. Can you take us through the the call up story and when you found out that you're going to be a big leaguer?
3: Yeah, so I think it's maybe the fifth or sixth inning. where in, I'm in Durham playing Gwinnett I believe and our team had just hit and we were about to go out on a defense and I remember my manager Jared Sandberg being like hey Shea, if you're done for the day and I was like what Like that was not a normal thing and so in my head I'm like like shoot did I not run out of ground ball or something like I thought I got benched for like it's like did I hustle something did I like did I do something wrong And what's going on and so then like he just it's all he said he just said hey Shea, if you're done for the day and I was very confused and he just didn't say anything else to me. So I'm thinking like, all right, either I messed up. Or I was like, Oh, Hey, like maybe I'm getting traded. Like, I don't know what's going on. And then and he has this just little, you know, grin on his face the whole time. And I'm like, what's going on? And then he comes over and he's just like, he's like, Hey, like you're going to the big leagues. And everyone's like, yeah, let's go. whatever. And so all my buddies were giving me hugs and everything. It was pretty cool. And so then I, I kind of didn't know what to do. The game was still going on. So I went into the clubhouse and I packed up and just went back to my apartment. And I, I called my, my parents and and my then fiance at the time right away and told them. And then that night, I remember just like sitting and staring at the ceiling and being like, holy smokes, I'm going to the big leagues tomorrow. (laughs) Like it was, I was flying out to Chicago that morning and it was, um, I mean, everything you could possibly imagine. It was uh, a, a dream come true for sure. And just a whirlwind 48 hours, uh, when I got there and, you know, it was, um, I don't know, it's, it's. It's interesting when you, when you pursue something for essentially your entire life and you have that one sort of moment that feels like, Hey, like you, you did it no matter what happens for the rest of time. Even if you never play another game, like you're always a big leader, no one can ever take that away. It's just a, it's a really cool, really cool
2: moment. Really cool feeling. Well, you got called up. So then what was your first uh, interaction when you got to the clubhouse?
3: Yeah, it was uh it was interesting because I wasn't in Big League camp that year. So I didn't even really know many of the guys. Um I had been up there. I had been called up for minor league spring training here or there. Uh maybe 5 or 6 games or whatever it may be. But I wasn't in camp that year, so like I didn't I didn't know a ton of the guys, but they were like, you know, super warm and welcoming and with the Rays it was great because we were a relatively younger team. Um so you know, it's not like you're going in there and there's just you know, 10 year vets everywhere that are salty and just wanted to make your life miserable. Everyone was great. Um, And, you know, I'll never forget, I had never used like the one, the big league helmet, the one ear flap helmet, which is like coveted for all minor leaguers. Like the one ear flap helmet's like the best thing ever. But I had never used it before. So I had to hit batting practice with it just to like get used to it because it's such a different feel. And so I was like, I feel like an idiot out there taking batting practice with my helmet on. But it's like, I can't step into a batter's box for the first time wearing this like, super foreign thing on my head i have to wear this and um it like rattles so much it fits so differently so that was the, my number one thing i was so focused on I was like i gotta get used to this helmet
4: this show is sponsored by better help we all carry around different stressors big and small when we keep them bottled up it can start to affect us negatively therapy is safe it's a place to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, after that uh twenty sixteen season, you, you experienced a little bit more of the cutthroat part of baseball. And that was when you were traded uh over to the Mariners with my guy Taylor Motter as well. Uh do you remember that trade and, and how that went down?
3: Yeah, so I remember it. It was uh I was driving, I think we were coming back from actually from Clemson. We were like went to a football game or something, and my wife and I were driving back home and I get a call from Eric Meander. Uh, who was the either GM or assistant GM at the time. And he's like, Hey, Rich, um, listen, just want to let you know that you've been traded to the Mariners and we appreciate all the years you've been with us and blah, 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 whatever. And I just, I don't know. I remember it's, it's a weird, it's a bittersweet feeling. I remember being excited that, you know, someone was willing to trade pieces to, to get me, but there was this bitter feeling of feeling like the team that drafted you, Kind of felt like they given up on you a little bit um which that kind of that stung a little bit you know but it, it's part of baseball and, and they didn't see me as a a, a piece of their future and uh, mm-hmm. were willing to kind of trade me over somewhere else who who, who wanted me at the time which you know it, the crazy part about it was i got traded to the mariners and then quickly was went through the dfa like waiver wire craziness um I had one of those offseason where I got DFA'd like five times in five weeks. It was just not all on paper transactions. None of these teams even saw me. So it was a really tough two months because I was like, I, there's so much uncertainty. I wasn't sure what was going on. There was constant bittersweet of like, all right, these teams want me, but then they, they don't want me and this back and forth. And I couldn't really figure out what was going on. And at the very end, um, the business side of it, it, it was pretty obvious the last. So Cleveland was the last team I landed with. And they dfa fade me like a week before spring training started and i look at it objectively when i look at it it's a smart business move because every team has had a chance to claim me two three times or whatever um so they kind of knew that i'd clear waivers and it opened up a spot so and from a business side i understand it makes sense from the personal side i'm like God, that really, that really stinks, man. Like, did you have to do that? Come on. I just went through it. I just went through this crazy whirlwind for two and a half straight months. Like cut me some slack here, but I get it from a business side, but that is making it any less you know, difficult to swallow.
2: <laughs> so who makes those transactions when it comes to these minor league players? Is it the major league GM and his staff, or is it more of the coordinators in, on the minor league side that, that handle that side of things? Well, that's, that's
3: sort of the, uh, that's sort of the uh the, the the piece that gets a little a little froggy is that every single time without fail when you get claimed it's like the big league gm calls you and he's like hey so glad to have you we can't wait to have you as an organization and we see you know you're gonna fit right into our plans and yada 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 whatever and then when you get when you get waived or when you get cut it's like some like 30th dude down the totem pole you've never heard of. And he, you know, I think he like stacks papers in the mail room and he's like, Hey, I'm supposed to tell you, you got cut. And I'm like, wait, what happened to, where's Jeff who just told me I'm the man. Like what happened to that guy? I thought, I thought I was the man. So that without fail happened every single time where it was like the GM called me for the good news and some, very lowly guy I've never heard of called me to cut me. Um, the only time that didn't happen, because I got to give credit where credit's due is Cleveland. And Chernoff was the guy who, who called me to claim me. And he's the guy who told me at the end that they were going to make that move. So I appreciated that at least.
2: Oh, well, at, at least that's, at least they gave you the courtesy there. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So you play with a lot of great guys throughout your career. Who were some who took you under their wing and, and really helped you out and guided you along the way? Yeah. Oh
3: man, dude. I had so many guys. Um, the first one that that pops into my head was Longoria when I first got called up. Um, Cause I was a third baseman all the way through my minor league career. When I got called up, I obviously wasn't going to displace him. I mean, he's, you know, multiple gold Glover, like one of the best to ever do it. And just, just an absolute stud, just as as good as it comes. And you know i still really wanted to continue to work on on my third base game because you know, just never know if i just always wanted i was a third baseman i still really wanted to keep doing it so i mean he let me always work in with him and 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 taught me so much about the the position and then not only that but you know it was very you know I, i'll never forget like we are in new york and he calls me and he's like hey i'm going to the field It's like noon and it was like super early he's like hey i'm going to the field you want to catch a cab and be a go um, cause you know, he was a guy that, that got to the field super early, got all his work in, did all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I, I just, I appreciated that. And so I kind of took after that mentality. Um, so I learned a ton from him and then the minor leagues guys like, uh, Eric Kratz, um, who's just, you know, one of these guys that everyone loves and he's just, the type of guy that you know when he gets on to you it's because he cares about you and and that he wants you to succeed and he's just been around a long time and wanted you to like he's just seen it all and you know he's like hey knock that off or do whatever and then um you know it was never something of malice he was like just legitimately cared about you um JP and CB yeah I had a bunch of guys that that you know veteran dudes that that really took me under their wing it's it's one of the things that I I wish I would have been able to to stick around and still be playing like right now because I wish I could pay that forward a little bit and and help some younger guys. I've just never, I didn't even quite quite make it to that point.
2: Well, I want to touch on some things to help out the younger players, especially with hitting. Where do you feel the at bat truly begins? Do you think it really begins in the on deck circle, or do you think with modern day analytics and Sky reports, it begins much earlier?
3: Yeah. So. I'm this a uh, huge, huge proponent and believer of the mental game. Like I just think the mental side of baseball is is criminally just under discussed and underworked and undertaught and just neglected all the way across the board. And and you know, I was fortunate enough to have enough talent to get me to a certain point, but the mental side of baseball is definitely what, you know hindered my ability to like fully grasp my potential. I think that's true across, you know, 99% of players. And so to me, I think that the at-bat starts, you know, literally when the day you, like when you wake up, like the moment you wake up, you're at-bat start pretty much instantly. Right. And so I always break it down into like these five categories. It's, you know, pre-g- pre-game, pre-at-bat, mid-at-bat, post-at-bat, post-game. So there's like five moments that happen and each of those moments there needs to be basically a continuous thought process of what's going on um and you know that's everything from like the pregame stuff to you know how you're eating how you're preparing before the game how you are um you know studying the pitchers or doing whatever if you're a younger player and that's not something that's really available to you something something as simple as like okay like were you able to, you know, do some T work before the game? Or if you weren't, were you at least able to like get some dry swings in, do some visualization, do something to start prepping yourself. And then pre at bat, are we in the on deck circle, timing the pitcher up? Are we looking, trying to find his release point? Are we watching what pitches he's throwing the guy before you see if we can pick up, you know, some tendencies or whatever. And that, that type of logic is just, it just goes right down the list. Just like, you know, pre-abat during the abat how you make adjustments post-abat so um i mean to me it's this never-ending process i don't think it ever starts or stops it's it's you know the moment that you the abat ends you know we we log it we figure out how to use it positively for the next abat and then continue and continue moving.
2: Speaking of the mental side and everything, did you guys have mental coaches with the Rays that helped you guys out?
3: Yeah, we, we had some uh, mental skills guys uh, that would come in and, and try to teach us you know, some some ways to build um, build consistency with our mindset. Um, I think that's the big one, right? Because we a lot of people get very up and down and very high highs and very low lows, and they have that roller coaster emotionally. And the more that we can stay even keel and neutral – is is important because baseball especially hitting is such a game of failure that you have to be able to just absorb that over and over again and for, reframe it in a way that works for you because if you're just relying on you know hitting a double in the gap to build your confidence that's it's not going to work right you have to have that in place beforehand so how do we how do we do that if we're not getting hits already so those guys would help you figure out ways to kind of create systems and methods to to build that confidence ahead of time.
2: What are some ways that players from high school, college, and and the pro level are able to stay consistent? Are, are there any like baseline things that each player could do in order to just have a consistent method in their approach?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, dude, I'm I'm literally building this whole mental training skill system. I'm calling it the Six Tool Athlete. Um, and so I already have my, my site built and everything for it. I'm going to build a whole system on this that basically goes very in-depth about this whole entire thing, but I'll give you, I'll give you a piece of it. One thing that, that I like to do is it's called wind stacking. So basically what you do is you find any small win you can possibly get out of an at bat. Say, say you, you know, say you struck out, but on O2, the guy threw like a nasty curve ball and you took it and it was a really good pitch. But you took it. That's a small win, right? Yeah, you struck out, and there's not much that you can take from a strikeout. But if we can find a small win and we log it, and then the next time we come up, something else small happens, we stack it on top of each other, and we just keep stacking wins over and over again and reframing anything that happens into a positive. Light, and then before you know it, you've got this, you know, foundation of wins that you're building on top of, so that when you do hit that double in the gap, now you have something substantial to build upon. Um, and so, like to me, like that this concept of win stacking and, and finding small wins to to build on top of each other, no matter what happens, regardless of outcome. That, I think, is the foundation of how you build sort of sustainable confidence. That's not like reactive to what happens.
2: Yeah, I also want to touch on too what you look for when you're facing these pitchers. Is there a, something that you look for in order to try to expose them and uh, maybe certain things that you see in pitchers that let you realize, hey, you know, this, this guy's doing something here where I'm going to take advantage of?
3: What I say all the time is any plan better than no plan, right? So come up with a plan ahead of time on how you want to attack your at-bat and then stick with it and write and it out. But any plan you can build is better than going up there and just, you know, hoping for the best. So what I would say is you have to recognize the type of hitter you are in terms of, of what you want to accomplish, right? Like think of Derek Jeter. He was very inside out really try to just dominate the four hole. And then when he got some of his pitches, then he would let it loose and and hit the ball out of the yard. Um, Some other guys were Jose Bautista, right? He would stand right on top of the plate and he was very pull heavy. And he looked to get, you know, his arms extended and get the ball into left center and, and left field. So I think the first piece is recognize the type of hitter you are, and then build your game plan around that. So, you know, if you are a guy that, you know, does really well, you know, hitting the ball to right center field and you take pitches that are middle away and driving the pitches over there, then we need to formulate our game plan around that. So then you look at the pitcher and you say, okay, is this guy someone who is, is he, is is he going to be attacking the zones that I want to hit at? Or is he not right? Because we don't necessarily care about the pitchers pitches. All we care about is hitting mistakes. So figure out what type of hitter you are, where you want to attack, and then basically how he's going to attack you. And then combine those three things into figuring out where exactly you want to look and what pitches you want to hit.
2: Great stuff, Richie. Well, before we go, I do want you to mention some of the things that you're doing too, to help out the younger players. You've done a lot on TikTok as well, and uh, putting out that message of of how younger players can improve. Can you touch on that a little bit? Yeah,
3: sure. Um I would just say, yeah, go follow me on TikTok. You know, if you want, like Richie for a tick on uh, on TikTok, because I'm going to be putting out all kind of uh, uh, free stuff there for the mental game, for confidence, for approaches. Um, some of the stuff we talked about here, going into more detail with that, um, and trying to do it in a way that's like entertaining to watch, right? Because some of it, you know, talking about the mental side can seem very boring and useless. But like, I promise you, as someone who I, and I don't even say this in, in a way that seems, you know, flexing or whatever, but as someone who was really physically talented and, and, and basically hit a ceiling because mentally I I was too hot and cold all the time. I can promise you if you're like in the cage and you just have calluses and blisters all over your hands, but you're doing nothing to like build your mindset, like you're doing it backwards. You're just doing it backwards. So, um, yeah, that's my, my two big things are I, I basically am I'm putting out a ton of of free content on TikTok about the mental side of the game. And then for anyone who wants to dive deeper and get really in-depth, I'm building out a whole mental training course and, and system called SixToolAthlete.com, athlete.com And um, that'll be I, I, my plan with that is basically just to see how many people are interested in, in getting a really in-depth, detailed version of it um, and then launching it whenever
2: we we get a little traction with that so some game plan awesome well richie i appreciate you hopping on and uh thank you for taking the time best of luck well i appreciate it dude
3: and hey keep up the good work man it's been really cool to see you grind and, and keep blowing up man i, I love it appreciate it
2: I'd like to thank you for tuning in to this episode of Billy the Bat Boy's Corner presented by Up on Game. Uh, Richie Schaefer is obviously somebody who knows a lot about the game of baseball and is really focusing on the mental side of the sport. Something that is definitely underrated and should be looked upon a lot more by young athletes. And it seems like the kind of message that he's sending out to these players is something that's going to really help them out a lot. In the near future, Uh, if you want to check out more about what we're doing here with Up on Game and Billy the Bat Boy's corner, be sure to follow on social media at Billy the Bat Boy at Up on Game Network. Don't forget, we're also helping out the Father English Center in Patterson, New Jersey. And don't forget, please subscribe, rate, review, and we'll see you next time here on the show. This
4: show is sponsored by BetterHelp.